Welcome to conference coverage presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Heart Association's Scientific Sessions 2010, November 13th through the 17th in Chicago. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, your host. And I'm Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted approximately 25,000 participants from around the world and highlighted a large number of advances, including the prevention, diagnosis, and management of hypertension, high cholesterol, myocardial infarction, and congestive heart failure. A new third-generation experimental pump implanted to assist the heart in patients with advanced heart failure showed similar survival rates compared to commercially available left ventricular assist devices. Investigators compared outcomes of 140 patients who received the experimental HVAD with 499 patients who received approved left ventricular assist devices as a bridge to transplant. 92% of patients who received the HVAD survived for 180 days with the pump, received a transplant, or had recovered enough to have the device removed. This result paralleled the 90% of control patients who were also treated successfully. But when investigators compared HVAD outcomes with those in the literature, they found substantially lower bleeding rates, infection rates, and ventricular arrhythmias with the HVAD. Stroke rate was similar with HVAD and commercially available devices such as the HeartMate 2. The study was funded by Heartware, Inc. Several authors disclosed financial relationships with Heartware, Thoratec, and other medical device companies. Among patients undergoing treatment with the HeartMate 2, researchers found left ventricular recovery occurred in nearly 2% of patients. 490 bridge-to-therapy, 600 destination therapy, and 18 compassionate-use patients were assessed. Among the 20 patients who experienced left ventricular recovery, investigators found these patients were more likely to have non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, be under 45 years of age, and have been diagnosed with heart failure for less than one year. The investigators concluded that rigorous testing for left ventricular recovery should be completed in this subset of patients. Several authors of this study disclosed financial relationships with Thoratec and other medical device companies. Researchers found an increased risk of cardiovascular disease in women with stressful jobs. Past research has yielded mixed findings on the relationship between cardiovascular disease and job stress, and very little data on the effects in women in particular. Investigators evaluated the impact of job stress and job insecurity on incident cardiovascular disease among more than 17,000 healthy female medical professionals over 10 years. Women with highly stressful jobs were found to have a 40% increased risk of a cardiovascular event compared to women with low-stress jobs. The lead investigator from Brigham and Women's Hospital recommends questioning women about stress levels when evaluating their overall health. Another study suggests that less sleep may be tied to greater carotid intima media thickness in men, but not in women. In a population of over 600 middle-aged men and women, men got an average of about five and a half hours of sleep a night and had an average carotid intima media thickness of 0.77 millimeters, while women slept around six and a half hours and had an average carotid intima media thickness of 0.68. One more hour of sleep for men was associated with two-hundredths of a millimeter reduction in IMT, but only two-thousandths of a millimeter reduction in women. Researchers reported that a cholesterase ester transfer protein inhibitor known as anisetrafib effectively raised HDL cholesterol and reduced LDL cholesterol with limited adverse events. 
investigators randomized over 1,600 patients undergoing treatment with a statin to receive 100 milligrams of anisetrafib or placebo daily for 18 months. In patients who were already treated with statins and had reached an LDL goal of 81, taking anisetrafib lowered LDL by an additional 40% to an average level of 45. Likewise, HDL increased by 138%, more than 5 to 10 times higher than previously achieved levels. The study was funded by Merck Research Laboratories. Several authors disclosed financial relationships with Merck and other pharmaceutical companies. Reports from another study on statins indicate that statins do not appear to increase the risk of cancer. Researchers evaluated over 11 million patient records from a 10-year period. Propensity score methods matched over 45,000 comparison pairs of statin users and non-statin users. Prior to matching, investigators found cancer occurred in 11.7% of statin users and in 11% of non-statin users. After matching, the incidence of cancer in statin patients declined marginally to 11.37% compared to 11.11% among matched non-statin patients. Also, Kaplan-Meier curves for diagnosis of any cancer showed no difference for statin and non-statin users for up to 10 years. A catheter-based renal denervation technique for treatment-resistant hypertension may substantially reduce blood pressure without major adverse events. Researchers randomized patients with refractory hypertension, despite taking three or more medications, to receive either renal denervation with previous treatment or to maintain previous treatment alone. Investigators found blood pressure measurements were reduced by an average of 32 over 12 among those who underwent renal denervation, while blood pressure did not differ from baseline among those who maintained previous treatment alone. At six months, 84% of patients who underwent renal denervation substantially reduced blood pressure, compared with only 35% of patients who maintained previous treatment. No differences were found in terms of serious complications or adverse events. The authors concluded that reductions in blood pressure from renal denervation could help limit development of hypertension-related diseases and mortality. Device maker Ardian funded this study. Several authors disclosed financial ties to Ardian and other pharmaceutical and medical device companies. Another blood pressure study indicated telephone-based behavioral intervention may be effective in improving hypertension control. Over 500 patients were randomized to receive either a stage-matched intervention or a health education intervention, both delivered by phone and compared to usual care. At six months, the rate of blood pressure control was over 62 and 52 percent respectively in the two phone groups, compared to about 47 percent in the usual care group. But another study, published online in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with the conference, showed that among patients recently hospitalized for heart failure, telemonitoring had no significant effect on hospital readmissions and deaths. Investigators said their results underscore the importance of thorough, independent evaluation before disease management strategies are adopted. Several studies addressed vitamins and supplements. One found that patients treated with warfarin often use herbal and dietary supplements without telling their physician and therefore may be at increased risk for bleeding or thromboembolic events. Of 100 warfarin patients surveyed, a majority took supplements, 92% that they would report supplement use if asked by their health care provider, but only one-third of providers did so.
In another study, omega-3 fatty acid supplements were not found to reduce recurrent atrial fibrillation, or AF. 663 outpatients with confirmed symptomatic paroxysmal or persistent AF were randomized to high-dose prescription omega-3 versus placebo for seven days, and then moderate-dose prescription omega-3 versus placebo for 24 weeks. In the paroxysmal AF group, 52% of patients taking prescription omega-3 experienced recurrent symptomatic AF, or a flutter event, within 24 weeks, compared to 48% of the placebo group. In the persistent AF group, 33% of the placebo group and 50% of the omega-3 prescription group had documented symptomatic AF or flutter events. No difference was found between the omega-3 prescription and placebo groups for recurrence of symptomatic AF. Investigators say these results do not exclude potential benefit in combination with membrane-active antiarrhythmic drugs for different patient populations, such as those with heart failure or multiple clinical risk factors. The study was funded by GlaxoSmithKline. Several authors disclosed financial ties to GlaxoSmithKline and other pharmaceutical companies. Additional studies focused on vitamin D. One investigation uncovered that vitamin D deficiency was associated with an increased risk of fatal stroke in whites but not blacks. However, racial differences in vitamin D deficiency did not explain why black patients had higher risk of fatal stroke overall. Vitamin D deficiency was also found to be a significant risk factor for several cardiovascular disease states and independently predicted reduced survival. Vitamin D supplementation was further linked to a greater survival benefit in deficient patients. Low vitamin D levels were also associated with an increased risk of all-cause and cardiovascular disease mortality among postmenopausal women and were found to be associated with prehypertension, independent of other demographic and health factors. Patients with coronary disease receiving sirolimus or everolimus eluding stents do not appear to be at increased risk of myocardial infarction or death compared to those receiving bare metal stents. And reductions in rates of target vessel revascularization were similar with the two drug-eluting stents. Investigators randomized over 2,000 patients to receive either of the drug-eluting stents or a bare metal stent and then followed these patients for two years. Among patients who received drug-eluting stents, the rates of myocardial infarction or death were 2.6% in the sirolimus-eluting stent group and 3.2% in the everolimus-eluting stent group, compared to 4.8% for bare metal stents. The rate of target vessel revascularization for sirolimus and everolimus-eluting stents was 3.7 and 3.1% respectively, and 8.9% for bare metal stents. Financial disclosures included Abbott Vascular, which manufactures two stents in this study. Patients with coronary artery disease and diabetes who undergo revascularization appear to demonstrate improved blood flow compared to those who undergo aggressive medical management alone. Investigators performed stress myocardial perfusion SPECT imaging in over 1,500 patients a year after they had been randomized to revascularization plus medical therapy or intensive medical therapy only. 59% of revascularization patients had no inducible ischemia, compared with only 49% of patients who underwent medical management. This difference in ischemia accounted for a higher risk of death and major cardiovascular events in the medical management group. The median percentage of myocardium showing stress perfusion abnormalities was 3% among revascularization patients, compared with 9% of patients receiving medical management alone. Investigators say revascularization 
could be useful in limiting reductions in blood flow for patients with diabetes who don't experience symptoms due to nerve damage. A single infusion of epoetin alpha in patients with ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction who undergo successful percutaneous coronary intervention appears to provide more harm than benefit. Researchers randomized 136 patients with ST-segment elevated myocardial infarction who underwent successful percutaneous coronary intervention within eight hours of symptom onset to 60,000 units of intravenous epoetin alpha or matching saline placebo given within four hours of reperfusion. The investigators found infarct size did not differ between those who were administered epoetin alpha and those who received placebo. In those older than 70, infarct size in the first week was bigger in the epoetin alpha group. Compared to those who received placebo, patients who received epoetin alpha had a higher incidence of death, myocardial infarction, stroke, or stent thrombosis at 4 versus 0%. One author of this study disclosed a financial relationship with heart IT technologies. For certain heart failure patients, adding cardiac resynchronization therapy, or CRT, to an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, or ICD, appears to reduce rates of death and hospitalization for heart failure, but raises the risk of adverse events. In nearly 2,000 patients with New York Heart Association Class II or III heart failure, left ventricular systolic dysfunction, and a wide QRS complex, researchers assessed the benefit of adding CRT to an implantable cardioverter defibrillator and optimal medical therapy. Death from any cause or hospitalization for heart failure occurred in 40.3% of patients who received an ICD only, and 33.2% of patients who received an ICD plus CRT. In total, 236 patients who received an ICD alone died, compared to only 186 patients who received an ICD plus CRT. But adverse events occurred in 124 patients who received an ICD plus CRT, compared with only 58 patients who received an ICD only. The use of automated external defibrillators, or AEDs, in patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest does not appear to improve survival. Over 11,000 patients who experienced cardiac arrest in hospital awards were evaluated. AEDs were used in over 38% of patients and were associated with lower survival rates compared with no AED use at 16.3% versus 19.3% respectively. While AED use was associated with lower survival in cardiac arrests with non-shockable rhythms, there was no significant difference in survival for patients with cardiac arrest due to shockable rhythms. The author of an accompanying editorial writes that these conclusions should lead to a consideration of a change in practice for in-hospital cardiac arrest. Further research into the timing of care after cardiac arrest found that withdrawing care after 72 hours may end lives prematurely. A retrospective study evaluated 66 cardiac arrest patients admitted to the hospital in a comatose state and treated with hypothermia for 24 hours, rewarmed, and discharged. Investigators found that withdrawal of life support 72 hours after rewarming may have prematurely ended life in at least 10% of potentially neurologically intact survivors. Another study of patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest found that care was withdrawn across a wide time spectrum, approximately one-third of cases within 24 hours, 
another third between 25 and 72 hours, and the remaining third beyond 72 hours. The study's authors conclude timing of withdrawal of care after therapeutic hypothermia is highly variable, and early withdrawal is common. Additional emphasis on continuing care in post-therapeutic hypothermia patients appears warranted. Finally, a history of smoking, even 15 years after quitting, appears to be linked to heart failure risk. Researchers evaluated the long-term effect of past smoking on incident heart failure in over 3,000 adults ages 65 years and older. Patients were categorized as never smokers or remote smokers who quit smoking over 15 years ago. Compared to never-smokers, investigators found remote smokers with over 30 pack years of smoking history had a significantly increased risk of incident heart failure. In related news, moderate alcohol intake has been tied to good health outcomes according to three separate studies. Specific health benefits reported of moderate alcohol intake include a reduced rate of adverse cardiovascular events after coronary artery bypass grafting, especially in men, decreased risk of total stroke in women, and a modest increase in overall health status among women who survived to age 70 or older. Thank you for listening to conference coverage from the American Heart Association's Scientific Sessions 2010, held November 13th through the 17th in Chicago. Conference coverage is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD, and powered by Health Day. <laughs>